right, here we are. It's the Hardcore Marketing Show. My name is Casey Cheshire, and I am so excited that you're here. Um, the kind of excitement, and I don't know if you've ever see, had this happen where you're reading this book and you have to put it down to go take care of the real world, and then you just can't wait to get back to it. That's how I feel today based on the topic. Um, and before we get to that, sponsored today by Cheshire Impact, helping you maximize your marketing automation and CRM. Ba-bam. CheshireImpact.com. And my guest today, super excited. She's amazing. Um, it's, it's almost like a sci-fi book come to real life. Um, Marley Mezabov, welcome. She's the VP of Content Strategy at Mad Pow over in Boston and in Portsmouth. So welcome. Thank you. Really excited to be here. So Glad when to be talking with you. Yeah, when we were chatting, we were talking about you are obviously the VP of content strategy. You're a content strategist through and through, but you work with people who are, I think we wrote the term down, they apply motivational psychology. So for everyone listening, this is like this is like the matrix meets content strategy. This is where marketing gets fun. So yep. um, so how do you how do you describe yourself? You're using these psychology techniques and motivational theory in your content marketing and the two and two go together. How, how do you describe yourself? Yeah, it's a big part of what makes uh, MadPow as an organization a little bit different and what makes it so much fun for me to be working there. And really what drew me to the organization is that uh, we're a UX design agency, but we've got these behavioral scientists. We've got uh, a user research team. We've got, in addition to the broader UX design and that really user-centric focus. So as a content strategist working in the middle of that, honestly, I still think that content strategy is the right term for it. I'm, you know, my team is content right. strategist, but we get to get right to the heart of what every content strategist wants to be doing, which is basing those ideas of how we get the right content to the right people in the right moments on data psychology, uh, research, and and really understanding the core of not just what keeps people up at night, but also what will help them make long-term effects that benefit right. their lives. Right. This is perfect. And and we were chatting earlier, the, the theme uh, for this episode ties to that marketing automation maturity model, that CSI, where, where we're helping people get these things set up. But we say, before you start building or clicking or even writing content, you got to know your buyer. And so that's how we got connected. On, I think it was on Twitter. And I thought this would be perfect, getting to know your buyer. We've had some conversations with people about personas. We've talked about mm -hmm. really caring about the person, like be to H, be to human kind of thing, um, but really understanding that next level of human psychology. Are, are, right away, let's smash some myths. Let's just crush them. Absolutely. Right I'm sure you, you encounter these all the time. Everyone says, write the right content for the right people, then they just totally go off on the rails. So <laughs> smash some things for us. Break the China and the China shop here um, with some myths that you're hearing and you just want to clear up once and for all. All right. Okay. So let's start with just a really basic one. Yeah. We can't give people motivation. That's just not a thing. Huh. We can entice them. We can engage them. We can educate them. We can help them understand the next steps, the, uh, the connections between what they're doing. Um, we can help them find their motivation, but ultimately we can't we can't give them motivation. That's that's not a thing. So every time that you see something that's like, oh, this is the new motivator, you know, and we saw it with Fitbit. Um, Fitbit got really popular, really exciting. They sure. said, oh my God, Fitbit is motivating people ah, to exercise. Right. Yeah, right. It lasts about six weeks. Huh. And because it's an external motivation, it's, it's a new exciting trend. It's got mm. social aspects. It's got all of these things that are engaging. But ultimately, uh, in order for an intervention to be successful, it needs to connect to something intrinsic within you. It needs to connect you to something broader and bigger because it can't just hand you motivation. That's not a thing. Interesting. Um, and you brought the intrinsic. So is there an extrinsic? Is there like an inner and an oh, outer? Absolutely. Yeah. How does that yeah, work? Well, we see it in education a lot. Uh, we see it, you know, extrinsic motiva motivation is anybody who gets this next answer right gets a piece of candy. Extrinsic Ooh. motivation right there, right? Now, the idea is if you get that piece of candy often enough, yeah. ultimately you start realizing you're not just doing it for the candy. You're doing it because you feel pride 
when you get the answer right. Now that's the intrinsic motivation. And so eventually if the teacher stops giving out candy for right answers, you still want to give the right answer. Um, Great. Is there danger doing one versus the other, the candy versus the... Not really. Does one lead to the other? How how does that... So yeah, so ideally what you want to do is set up extrinsic motivators that will help someone connect to intrinsic motivators. Um, So leaderboards. Right. We see a lot of when you talk about gamification and leaderboards yeah. and points and badges. Again, the reason that those don't tend to help people long term is because eventually the the wow effect of the extrinsic motivator wears off. Got it. Now, if you can um, uh, connect the leaderboard to also something that someone wants to do. So for example, um, during those six weeks or so maybe that the extrinsic motivator is working, if you can help them to also start seeing changes in their day-to-day life. So let's say that they get a point every time that they walk. Mm. If after three weeks of walking, they start to feel better or uh, they stop, they stop coughing so much or they start to have fewer health problems or whatever the thing might be that right. is actually going to connect to something that is intrinsic, then the extrinsic motivator has done its job. It's engaged them. It's, it's grabbed them. Cool. And now even though the leaderboard in and of itself isn't so exciting anymore, it doesn't matter because we've huh. connected to the intrinsic. And is all that- of this comes from uh, self-determination theory, um, which is one of the theories that we follow quite a bit at MadPow. But there are, there are tons of different theories of motivation. There's um, work by, uh, um, by Skinner and by um, B.J. Fogg and, and a number of different um, behavioral scientists, some of huh. which, uh, honestly, some of it is just the theories that align best for a specific audience, and some of it is what research you've read or what studies sure. you've seen that, that make you sort of choose one over another as the, okay. as the way to, to build things. But the self-determination theory is a pretty strong one that we feel is very important. And that, for the content strategy side. Oh, what? Sorry. Is that six weeks? Is that a, is that a magic number or is that like a, is there a certain period um, of time that the transition from one to the other? No, not for the transition, but the six weeks is a, is a number that I've seen thrown around quite a bit as the um, amount of time that most, it's actually what studies have shown is the amount of time that any new fad or um, technology is going to grab people. Got so it. So that's knowing, actually more from a marketing piece. That's not sure. even, you know, that's not even on the motivation side. That's, yeah. That's, that's how long most of these trends seem to last. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So as a content strategist, part of what we're doing is saying, okay, we've got all those behavioral theories, um, right. those behavioral science and the and the behavior change theories and we're saying okay well how do we communicate that right right what are the what is the terminology that reflects connecting this to your internal motivations um uh, how do we use the voice and tone to engage people and to help them uh not just see the leaderboard as something new and exciting for the moment. How do we, how do we adapt a voice that is going to um, cheer them on? Another myth: um, yeah. fear is not a motivator. Really? It's, yeah, uh, it has a very temporary. You know, it it scares people for a minute, but it's not nearly as powerful as positive motivation. And so we try to focus our language and our content around around the positive. We avoid judgmental terms like um, shouldn't or mustn't or uh, or, or should. Um, we try to like the, in the content sense or in, in oh yeah our life? Like I, we, fear motivates <laughs> me. So I, I mean I like the positive better for sure. So does that does that well, mean does it really does it long term motivate you though? Um, that's a good question. Long term fear. So we see this with, with, diabe- with diabetics, for example. Oh. Nobody wants to lose a foot. That's terrifying. Yes. But it's a long-term change. Nobody's thinking about that when it's like, oh, but I really want that cupcake. The cupcake's delicious. Uh, yes, long-term, it's going to make you, in theory, lose your foot. 
And that's terrifying. Interesting. But it's not enough to keep you going day by day to affect changes, particularly because the changes are usually small things that we need to be doing on a consistent basis. And right. that's really hard. So instead of saying, like, don't do this or never eat cupcakes or Interesting. Um, you shouldn't have any sugar, we try to focus on what can you do? What will be helpful? What's beneficial? right? Um, what makes you feel better? What's going to um, maybe get you those points in that leaderboard in the short term, but then over the course of a few weeks or months, we can keep you engaged long enough to help you see that, oh, wow, now your doctor's not so worried about your sugar anymore. Right. You're not so groggy. You're not having the spikes and the, and the, the sometimes heart palpitations. You know, you're not you don't have to worry about your foot falling right. off. Like those types of things are actually far more long-term motivating uh, than than just the fear factor. Interesting. It, it will. I'll definitely. I made a note. We'll talk about because I know you do a lot of work on the in the healthcare side. And yeah. but your analogy actually opened my eyes because I was thinking about. Uh, I'm I'm running a triathlon in March, and oh, awesome. a few months away, I was like, well, you know. But now it's one month away, and I'm like, you know, I put a swim in this morning, but because it, it was like this, this thing is going to be a world of pain in about a month. But I could see if, hey, you're going to run the Boston Marathon in four years, better get ready, or you know, or the right. negative, the foot thing, um, it's going to mm -hmm. be horrible in four years. It's really hard to, to, and then, and I, I don't know if we desensitize yeah. ourselves to it or we just somehow get callous to it over time or something. I think we just have too much going on in our lives. Yeah. Get distracted, right? Like, oh, you know, shiny, yeah. shiny bird. Yep. Yeah, it's easy as a designer or a strategist or somebody to be like, oh, well, you know, obviously, if somebody has continuing with the diabetes metaphor, yeah, uh, or example rather, um, it's easy to say, oh, well, obviously, that's the most important thing in their lives, but it's not. Uh, mm. The most important thing in their lives is that they've got a big exam coming up at school next week, right. or their daughter's getting married, or they have a job promotion coming up or they're worried about the, you know, economic going on with, with the political situation right now. So, right. you know, health is certainly a factor, but honestly, it's going to be more important to someone that I have a stomach ache today than yeah. that I could have something major go down the road four years from now. Because who right. knows? Well, I'm running the Boston Marathon in four years. Yeah, it could be painful, but I've got who knows what could happen I got time. now and then, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could, I could meet a trainer who wants to invest in everything and I could win the lottery and not have to work anymore and spend all my time getting ready for the Boston marathon. Right. Who knows? You know, it's too far away. Also like a rainy day, you're feeling down, something stressful happened at work. You're like, you know what? Down the street, they've got this, um, uh, it's like short rib mac and cheese. And it's one of those things, as soon as you try it, it's right. like, that was a mistake. But, but hey, you know, <laughs> it's like the short term. Hey, to your point, we're thinking about right now. And yeah. sometimes the right now is I just want to feel better. So that's interesting. And so yeah. how do you take, and that's the, now that's the self-determination theory. Now, what specifically is that? Is that theory around the, the, the wants and the needs? Or could you encapsulate? I know you're not like a, the actual scientist. You're sort of applying this. But yeah. I'm really curious, like self-determination. Sure. So self-determination theory is, uh, I mean, a lot of what we've been talking about is, like I said, um, the part where I do where it's, it's um, identifying how to use that core theory to, to develop things and to go farther. Yeah. So a lot of the examples we're talking about in the sort of short-term, long-term, that's not, that's not directly in the theory. Sure. Um, but the, SDT basically it's a, a framework. It's um, it frames the, the motivational studies, the fact that there are intrinsic and extrinsic sources for motivation, wow. and that they play different roles for us. So um, it, it understands and recognizes that there's there's social factors, there's cultural factors, um, there's a lot more than just well-being as a matter. Sure. Uh, you know. The other, the key part I would say of self-determination theory and the thing that helps us as content strategists focus on is that if you support an, a person's autonomy, their competence, and their relatedness, that those are the best ways to engage them. So autonomy is 
their ability to make choices. Mm. Again, that's getting away from you should do this or you must do this or you should never do this. It, you it's can saying choose. to them, yeah. yeah, it's saying we, as a human, sometimes you're not even going to analyze it to the point that you and I just were with, well, but I really want this mac and cheese and short ribs, <laughs> you know, the short rib mac and cheese. It, it right? sounds delicious. Yeah. You just go do it. Right. right. And that doesn't make you a bad person and it doesn't no. mean you're ruined. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your foot or not run the Boston Marathon. Sure. It was a choice you made and you right. have the ability to make those choices and then to make other choices around it. Um, mm. It does feel nice to make choices. I, I definitely see that with people yeah. coming from countries that don't have as many freedoms. They're like, like you guys don't understand how many choices you can make here. You can just go over <laughs> right. here. Like, this is amazing. So, yeah, just to be able, the ability to say, I want to go do this today. Or, or if you lack that, yeah. you feel that internally. That you lack and that. that piece in each of us that just wants to say, like, it's part of being, it's part of feeling like a simple human right, that mm. I should be able to make a choice, that there is not just one thing that I can have for breakfast, there is not just one way that I can move and, and right. be healthy and be active, there is not just one job that I could have, you know, those, those simple choices uh, really motivate people to continue down a, a better path. Cool. And these are all positive because like you were saying that you, you see the much more yeah. results from your positive it probably, in content as well. Does that tie? Have you seen that? Oh, absolutely. For sure. Okay. Absolutely. Not like the doom, I mean, and doom and gloom content. It's more of the, you're going to get a promotion type content. Um, yeah. And, and, and so, like I said, there's sort of, there's three aspects yeah, to yeah. this. And, and the second one there is more what you're talking about saying the get away from the doom and gloom. Um, it's competence. It's helping people understand that they have the ability to accomplish what they're trying to do. Mm. And so we don't have to go for fear, right? It's not smoking's going to kill you. Smoking's going to kill that. you. Smoking's going to kill you. We all know that. Yeah. Um, but there's a sense of, well, do I have the willpower to quit? Yeah. Am I strong enough to quit? What would I do if I didn't smoke? There's, right. there's for most people trying to make a change, there's some aspect, one of the barriers can be feeling a lack of competence. So from a content perspective, it's not like we just want to write everything to be cheerleaders, but we need to look for ways to remind people of their own competence or recognize it. Right. And again, this goes to, I think a lot of gamification tries to simplify behavior change theories and just say, great, yeah. we'll just do the external motivation and tell them, hey, you get a sticker every time that you did it to prove your competence. Like they've got the right idea. Yeah. You just don't go far enough at then connecting to intrinsic motivation. Um, because really what competence is about is it's not about collecting stickers. It's about recognizing that the sticker represents that you have the ability to do this. That's interesting. I'm, I'm like, my mind is spinning because I'm even thinking about <laughs> this maturity model. It's 10 points, but if you do them all, you've maximized marketing automation. Right. We can, we can gamify that, but we need to take that so it's not just a checkbox or a score and turn well, it you into- You get so much more out of something, it. Yeah. Right? There's so much like more that comes from- if you're doing it well. Yeah. 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 If you're doing it well, if you're, doing, if you're doing, going through these, the, the checkboxes, you're going to see- uh, reflection, you're going to get totally. a good return on investment. You're going to start communicating better with your audience and you're going to see your audience coming to you. Uh, you're going to get all of these other metrics that help you recognize the value of what you've done. And so right. it becomes not just about doing the checklist for the sake of getting the checkboxes. Right. And for some of us, the, the pressures and the values of the extrinsic motivators are going to be stronger than others. You know, there are some people like me, I, I love checking off the boxes on my to-do list. For some mm -hmm. people, a to-do list is just a list of things that never happens. Right. It has no power over them at all. So um, this isn't even self-determination theory, but this is basic behavior science understanding is that every situation is different and every person or group of people is different. Mm -hmm. And so we have to recognize that context. And there's never going to be a one-size-fits-all. There's not just a... Hey, content strategists around the world, do this one thing, and now you have applied <laughs> behavior change yeah. to everything you've done. Right. Uh, for every single situation, that, that's why we have a behavior change team, is, is to work with our UX designers and content strategists and, and take the research and say, okay, for this group in this scenario, as we're creating the personas, what are their goals and their objectives and all the things that we typically look at, but also... 
what are the motivators that are going to be specific to them? How does right. autonomy apply in this case? How does competence? And then the third one, how does relatedness? And that's the, sometimes it can be the social aspect. It can be how do they connect to the, the culture, to the outside oh, world? Yeah. How does this connect to sort of the, the bigger um, context of their life? Because is it I to other people eat, or like related to other people or like social community or what? Other people, um, personal goals, it, it's going to depend, right? You've got um, some audiences. Uh, we did a project for a, a rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that group tends to be somewhat isolated. Mm. So to just throw in, oh, we'll find some way to connect you to other people, it can have benefits, but you also need some smaller goals in there that will just help them relate it to um, their values. Right. I mean, I say people probably because I like people, but to your point, someone who doesn't like people, it's not about people, but whatever right. they could connect to their personal goals, their people goals. So, yeah. Yeah. Your values, your values, your values could, be, like could be seeing more of your family. It could be being closer to a community in general, or it, it could be, uh, honestly, not being in pain and being able to make more choices and being able to right. feel a sense of control so that that relatedness, it more often than not has a social element. Um, but it's, it's really about connecting to values. Love it. SDT, the framework. SDT. Yep. See now, yep. now everyone listening, you can sound like a behavior scientist or at least one that applies <laughs> that into your Get marketing. In trouble. <laughs> like drop a little SDT, uh, here and there. Awesome. Yep. And that, that was all yeah. based on the myth of not being able to, you can't give people motivation. You can yeah. encourage it. You can help them find next steps or even find it, but you can't gift it to them. Right. You know, and, and so we have to understand the, the reinforcements, right? What's going right. to feel like a reward, what's going to feel like a punishment, uh, you know, and, and I will say, I mean, the reason that we use self-determination theory is that it, it is the, the richest and the best studied theory of motivation. But there, there are so many, I mean, you know, Maslow's hierarchy sure. is, is one that most people are familiar with. Um, that's a theory of motivation. Um, so are there any you don't theory? like? Are there any that have been chucked out? Or Back to the myths, are there uh, anything else people are using that's not correct? Yeah. Doesn't so I was going to say, I, I wouldn't know a specific theory sure. that, that, yeah, I, I tend to, I tend to rely on the, the smarter people than me that I work with for that. Me too. Um, yeah. <laughs> me too. But, but there's a lot that we've learned in terms of content about okay. just what does and doesn't work. Um, I would say I'm actually, uh, I'd, I'd be happy to, to share with yeah. anybody what listening to work? this podcast. Yeah, we've got a we've got a, a MadPow one pager on how to write for behavior change, mm. and one thing that we found that that really doesn't work is that that people assume would is just keeping it casual. Uh, there's this sense huh. because we're user centered, people say like, oh, okay, well, if I can just speak the way that my audience speaks, if I can just use their their phrasing, their terminology, then that's the best way to connect to them, right? Hmm. And it's Unfortunately, because, because the behavior change terminology tends to be uh, very specific and very well researched, there are things that we'll try to write in a more casual way that ends up actually changing the meanings and changing the way that people will take it. And so anything that we write we try to work with experts, subject matter experts, whether in the medical profession or in a specific, um, or with behavior change scientists, or um, also just doing basic usability testing to make sure that the way that we have shifted the language doesn't take away from what it was intended to do. And, it, and it's fascinating because in pretty much any other sphere, in, in marketing, certainly most in most marketing, uh, we rely on the content strategist to determine what is the path going forward, what are all of the touch points, and we adapt that from exactly what the audience tells us. But when we apply behavior change, we have to keep in mind that what our audience is seeing 
isn't always correlating directly to what they're doing. So when a great example is, uh, you know, there's a basic, I think it's, gosh, now I can't remember if it's Nielsen Norman or, um, no, Jared Spool uh, years ago, I believe, had a video out that showed a usability test where someone said, oh, I would never click on this button, and then immediately clicked on the button to see what was there. And this was thrown around quite a bit as like, oh, look, you can't believe what users say. You have to watch what they do. So with behavior change, I would take it even a step farther and say that we see somebody say, I wouldn't click on this. And then they click on it and they say, oh, now that I'm here, yeah, I would, I, I'm going to follow these steps. But if you follow them on a study over the course of several weeks or months, they don't necessarily. There are other barriers that come up. There are other blocks. There are all those motivational pieces that we were just talking about. So when we're when we're writing for behavior change, we have to basically either do usability studies, almost like a clinical test, right, over the course of weeks and months uh, to identify how the, how the changes happen, or we need, to spend, we need to spend a lot more time with our subject matter experts and researchers to make sure that we are not just listening to what we've seen and heard from users, but also to what what history and science tells us. What you're saying reminded me of when we had Adele Ravella on here. And, um, and she was saying when, when we're going deep and interviewing and talking to people, first of all, she threw out um, those, uh, those sessions where you have a lot of people all together, those sort of research mm-hmm. pools, panels, at least for this, for trying to really understand people. It's like, they're just going to say what everyone else is saying. And, but even when asking someone one-on-one, she was saying it's not the first answer they give. It's like, okay, that was your first answer. So they said X, and then you're like, okay, now tell me more about that. And so it was like digging below what they were saying because you can't necessarily trust what they're saying at the very beginning. Um, right. Interesting. And it also reminds me of that, that book, um, uh, The Rational Buyers, right? Just the idea that yep. we all think we're buying these things rationally. We may, have, we may justify it. We, it's almost like we have an irrational idea that we justify with something rational. Um, but really we just like that person or something. Yeah. Well, and Dan Ariely did predictably irrational. Yes. uh, I think that's the one. Was it the orange? Yeah. I think that was it. Yeah. And he talks a lot about, yeah, that, that it's, we understand how people act, not because they're rational, but because they're predictable. Uh, and yeah, we spend something like 10% of our time making a decision and the 90% rationalizing it. Yes. So love that. Yeah. So, you know, as content strategists, we're doing, I know we've been talking a lot about the voice and the, and the writing piece, but mm-hmm. a lot of it's about the touch points along the way. You know, when, when we're working with, when we're figuring out whether it's on the health side with, a, with, with patients or whether it's on um, the more marketing specific side where we're talking about buyers, we need to recognize that either way there's a need there. And there's a journey that they're going to follow, whether whether we're with them or not. Right. Uh, but we can help them to make the choices that we want them to make that are ideally best for them, but that aren't necessarily going to occur to them by educating them, by connecting them with their own abilities, by helping them recognize the power of their own choices, by relating it to their values. How do you struck that? Maybe you could break that down. I, I love that the touch points matter. Is there a certain progression you like to use then um, when picking, taking people down this, this path, you know, especially if you're, you know, this content versus this or this touch point, this touch point, is there an order to that or how do you, how do you decide what goes first, second, third, fourth? Yeah. I mean, it's very context based. Mm. Um, I, you know, we use a lot of, uh, a lot of, Honestly, what already exists, there's so much um, time and energy that that much smarter people than I have spent building out sales funnels sure. and uh, and connecting that to um, you know that top level of the sales funnel is basically all all marketing all uh, sure you know it's it's all just getting brand awareness, just getting people to have heard of us, making that connection. And then if you look at the steps of the sales funnel that bring it down to conversion, a lot of it's about engagement. And so I see that as 
size as almost a one-to-one correlation to what we're trying to do in in health when it's essentially the conversion is is every day making the steps making the choices to uh to walk around the block to get up from your desk to uh make a make a healthy food choice to um uh, record your your anxiety or record your mood swings so that you can speak to a doctor to right. take the step to call a therapist all these things that are that are challenging and difficult for people to do fit that same model as as getting somebody to click on your website sure. connect with you on facebook ultimately make the phone call or fill out the form yeah. uh, and purchase your product so you know I, I follow those that funnel. I follow those uh, those journeys that have already been brought out, yeah. and um, we all, we do love uh, journey mapping workshops where we'll work mm. with with either the target audience or with the stakeholder team to um, see how they map out what what is, what does the ideal look like to them, right? What do they see as the steps that get somebody to conversion, whatever mm. conversion might mean in this case. And, um, and then I like to, uh, essentially look at all of the channels that are available to us. Right. So our, if there are events then we've got a, an IRL channel, is, <laughs> are we on Facebook? Are we on Twitter? Are, sure. Do we have a blog? Are we going to, uh, conferences? Are we running conferences? Are we doing podcasts? Are we right. putting videos out on YouTube? Are we, uh, and it's not about creating more, more, more. It's about recognizing what do you have today and matching those channels saying, what's the right touch point? What's the right, uh, what's the right channel rather for each of these opportunities to connect? Because every time right. that we say it, there's a step that is a connection. Even if it's just microcopy, it's something that they are uh, receiving from us that furthers the conversation. That's right. cool. The, uh, yeah. You know, the journey, the conversation, the the sort of every time that they reach out to us, that's them saying something. Every time that we give them something back in the form of content of any sort, that's us responding. And we're trying to get them to then ask another question that we can answer right. that prompts them to ask something else. That's cool. I, I love the the concept of mapping. Even at Cheshire, we do more like process mapping because we do a lot of technology. Mm-hmm. But you know the the loose ends that we encounter, where you put a bunch of stuff at the beginning and it didn't make it out the end. I love the fact that you're thinking about the, the motivational side. You know, it's almost like you need to think about it from all the angles. The great, everyone's motivated, but that string of leads just went out to the ether and now no one's following up or oh, yeah. you're following it's up. But you're be fo- yeah, but you're not really listening to them. So that's, it's really important just to write that out. A little bit of that deliberate planning, a little bit of that um, process discipline just to see how it goes through. I love that. Um, this is, this is great. I, I'm kind of like at, in a candy shop. I remember we, we chatted about a couple things. I don't know if, if we've already hit the, I, I can't even tell. Um, cognitive evaluation theory. Have we talked about that yet? Um, so I know we've talked, we, we talked uh, a little bit about, yeah, cognitive theories in general. Okay. Um, there's kind that and there's also the social motivation too, those two things. Right. So cognitive evaluation theory is uh, has some similarities with self-determination theory. Um, it's more about trying to explain how external consequences impact intrinsic motivation. Interesting. Okay. How they impact the specific element. Right. That's so, cool. you know, we, we mentioned earlier – I. That's why I'm hesitating. I'm like, we kind of talked about before when we were talking about how like... I know. It's like, I just asked Elon Musk (laughs) to talk about what a rocket engine looks like. You know, Uh, so much more. No, 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 no. (laughs) But but it's it's like, (laughs) again, again, like uh, so much of what I'm doing is sort of saying, well, what's the right space for this? What's the, you know, give, give me some, some... um, building blocks, and then right. I'll I'll figure out how to place them so that we can help people walk across the swamp. Uh, I think I just mixed or invented some metaphor, but <laughs> I love it. I love metaphors. <laughs> so yeah, so so um, any new theory? I, I don't know if 
I, I feel like I'm like paging through a mental Rolodex of like, yeah, we worked, I worked with that one. Do you have a favorite pull, theory pull though? I mean, I'm just throwing them out at you, but do you have like a favorite one you always go back to, you gravitate toward when you're. Well, when you're self, self-determination theory. It, oh, it's just so perfect. strong yeah. and it, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's why I end up talking about it a lot. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, cognitive evaluation theory, it's, it's, it's a lot of what it sounds like if you break it down, it's how your, how your brain responds, how you kind of, um, evaluate decisions. And so when we were talking before about rewards mechanisms and, and to some extent punishment as well, yeah. it's how do those consequences, whether they're social, whether they're on individuals, whether all of those things, um, how does that impact your internal motivations? Got it. So, you know, it, 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 I mean, and a lot of the theories come back to that. I mean, even, even going to, like I said, the really basic of like Maslow's hierarchy, what that's saying is if you throw at somebody, you know, if you say, oh, let's talk about how you can um, become the best at your job and they're struggling with finding a place to live, mm. that's so far out of reach. They're not going to be motivated to do that because they haven't built up to that level. Right. So there's no way to motivate someone or again, you can't give them motivation, but to engage someone with that kind of work if we haven't accounted for the pieces to help them get there. Right. So, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, there's a and, lot out there. And I, and one of the favorite things, you know, when I was, um, you know, looking up some of the information, you have a really cool quote on your website right underneath you. Do you remember the one I'm talking uh, about? You're talking about uh, people don't look for. No, the Einstein they just, Oh, I love that quote. That's Yeah. It says um, either write something when, worth reading or do something worth writing. Oh, that's Benjamin Franklin. Oh, yeah. Benjamin Franklin. Actually, yeah, yeah, Benjamin Franklin. Yep. Yeah. Write something worth reading, which you're doing, or do something worth writing about, which you're also doing. <laughs> trying. <laughs> so, so trying. how did how did you get into this? Uh, you know, in terms of content, you know, who are you? Where did you come from? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like most people in the user experience, you know, broad world, uh, there, I came through a twisty path. Patrick Neiman uh, on Seattle likes to say there's no, there's no front door to UX. <laughs> um, and I am definitely proof of that. Uh, I, I was a, I went to school for theater. I no was kidding. dead set on becoming a famous actress and a singer and and a musician. I was gonna I was gonna do it all, and I was gonna write children's books in my spare time. Sweet. I had, I had it all planned out, and uh, I graduated, uh, and started doing stage management. And got, I was, I loved stage management. I loved sure. I just found that the the organization of it and the the details and being around all these creative people, but still having some structure. Right. And um of course as a stage manager you have um a little spare time and less money. <laughs> and at some point I said, you know, I, I think I need to branch out. I was it, it wasn't quite it it wasn't quite right for me. And a friend of mine pointed out that project management has a lot in common with stage management. A hundred percent. And I gotta say right now, God bless stage managers and God bless project <laughs> managers because no I've, been a, kidding. I've been an actor and a director, and when that prop is right where you need it, or oh my the gosh. things happen the way you've asked them to ha mm -hmm. actually happen, that doesn't. It's not it, it, actors and act, you know, actresses can be like cats, right? So it <laughs> literally, yeah. So to all have them all cats. be in the right place and mm -hmm. lights and everything, or at least you know people wearing the right thing and they have the. The, the, the cane that's yep. taken out to the plot, they have it in hand. Man, it's amazing. So that I can see yep. that natural extension. By the way, kudos to go go to school for it. Your parents let you do that? <laughs> how, how did that conversation go? <laughs> you know, I had a – I don't think I've ever shared this story before, but it, um, my my mother sat me down a few months before college and said, you know, most people would say this is very impractical and you shouldn't sure. do it. She said, but I, but I had an aunt who wanted to go to school for theater or wanted to become an actress, and her parents said she couldn't, and she was a miserable, unhappy mm. person her entire life, and I don't yes. want that for you. So my parents were incredibly supportive, 
they trusted that I would find my way into something, that it could be a path to somewhere else. They both right. had a windy careers as well. And, I, and I'm very incredibly grateful that uh, they both actually ended up in education and, and felt that the best way to become a well-rounded person and to educate yourself and to find your place in life is to follow your passions and see oh, what 100%. happens. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I, I, as a project manager, I ended up project managing a UX company. I went to a UX conference and heard Christina Halverson speaking about content strategy. Now, if everyone listening to Mindy knows, UX is user experience, right? Oh, yes. Sorry. How, how, would, yes. You, how would you even define that for people? I mean... Yep. The goal of user experience is to uh, make the tasks that we need to accomplish mostly digitally, but it's becoming more holistic and, and within the world. Um, yeah. Simple, uh, intuitive, even if we can, delightful. And so like when that. we say that content strategy is about putting the right, the right information in the right place at the right time for the right people, we're talking about creating a positive user experience. So I think mm. of, and it's probably been kind of obvious as I'm talking about it, that I see content strategy as a, a subset of the larger user experience. Interesting. Yeah. It, that, making it simple for, you know, it's great. You've written this thing, but no one can find it. They're not inspired to actually read it. It doesn't have SEO. It's not, it right. doesn't have headers, you know, so it needs to be good content is, is findable, which means mm. uh, findable via um, top three levels of the navigation maybe, or I, I, accessible from the homepage. It needs to be usable, meaning that it needs to have, whether it's headers, tables, bullet points, a, a layout that just is clear, scannable. Right. Uh, it needs to be useful, meaning it relates to what people are trying to do. That's where we get into a lot of the behavior change pieces. Right. And, um, and it needs to be searchable, which is SEO, uh, using analytics to improve how we get to things, really following the user journey. Got it. Because um, yeah. I've always sort of pigeonholed UX in terms of like, it's that one person who's maybe not as geeky as all the other coders on the app development team, you know? It, so, oh, the yeah. UX, let's make sure it looks pretty. This is like <laughs> way beyond that. This is, and it's almost like I could, I could drop what you've described, the idea of simple, intuitive, delightful. I could drop that framework on anything, you know? Oh, you, Yeah. Like, Everyone can have a UX bend. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's why we don't have UXers per se. Hmm. We have UX designers who are designers that have a specific focus in making things usable, useful, intuitive, delightful. Sure. We, have, um, we have experienced strategists who look at the holistic, how do all the channels connect and how do we connect the business strategy to the user needs. We have UX researchers who are doing interviews and usability testing and all that. Uh, and then in the middle of it, it's like, you know, UX content strategist was a little bit too long. So we just stick to content strategist. <laughs> sure. I don't know. I might even add those two letters onto it. It, it makes it, <laughs> you know, it's almost like we need more U, UX in the world based on your definition, um, which I'm now making my own because yeah. it's all we're doing is just focusing on the, the user and then their experience, their related experience, which can't hurt at all for anyone, you know? I mean, it, it's a great reminder, yeah. especially if we're being deliberate enough to actually put it in our, our job description, but also in our, in our, how we approach things. That makes so much sense. I mean, so many times you hear all the, all the mistakes in marketing often come from forgetting about the user or forgetting about their experience. Um, let That's me give why you we end up doing paper. so much work with marketing teams. Oh, 100%. I mean, let I me mean, give you a crappy white paper and then let me call yeah. you the next day as a sales rep. Right. None of that was positive and you totally forgot yep. about me as a user. Yep. Yep. I saw something on LinkedIn recently that was like um, uh, this, this story of how many times, how many times do I need to call someone before they'll listen to me? And it's like, <laughs> Oh my God, no, no. How can I connect with them so that right. I can give them what they need, right? Like, right. <laughs> we're not just sitting there going, hey, 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 you know, yeah. we're not toddlers. I got a few so, emails like that this yeah. morning. And what makes it worse is they're, 
they're like forwarding the email they sent me the first time, which was not helpful oh. spam. And they're forwarding it going, hey, just want to make sure you got this. Yeah. And I'm like, I hated you the first time. I, this is not helping. Yeah, I'm, this is not breaking down right. barriers here. Do I need to block you? What is going on yeah, here? Yeah, spam. Yeah. Check, check. <laughs> yeah, which Man. is unfortunate because for all I right. know, they actually had something useful, but because they didn't bother to find out what I was actually doing True. or start an actual conversation. I'm, I'm actually really curious to see how the intersection of UX and marketing impacts our next generation of marketers, right? So, there, so? Well, so like I said, no front door to UX, except now there kind of is. Now there are universities that have majors in user experience design. Um, There are even a couple that have started now with content strategy. You know, so everyone I know of sort of our generation who works in user experience and content strategy came from marketing or came from design or came from theater. A shocking number of content strategists come from theater. No kidding. You know? That sounds like a party right there. I know, right? It always ends up in karaoke. Uh, (laughs) You know, we come from these other areas where we developed empathy and we bring those skills to the work that we do now. Sure. The reason that I, I, I believe that the reason that I'm able to work with marketing teams and design teams and, and development teams and uh, across realms of healthcare and finance and education and travel sure. is because I... I jumped careers a few times. I am used to what are we learning next? What are we getting in here? And how did whatever I did last connect to what we're doing now? And how can I tie it together? And what, what connections can I make? This next, this next uh, generation has both the extreme benefit of having gotten all the basics right off the bat in school, but also is not bringing the sort of uh, breadth, of experiences, but at the same time, specifically when we're talking about marketing, now we've got more and more people who are in school today for marketing who yeah. are learning some of the things that, as you've been saying, like you and I brought in from from the theater world and from sure. other areas to recognize how do we actually create personas that connect to our buyers. That's not something that last, last decade's marketers necessarily had. Mm. And so we're going to have this whole new generation now that I think is going to, in some ways, be much stronger in the in the marketing world and in the content world and in the UX world, but at the same time, is going to perhaps have a narrower perspective. And these are all this is supposition. Sure. I, this is what I'm saying. So I'm so curious to yeah. see how it actually ends up. Like, what do they actually look like? What do they know? What do they do? Right. You know, I, I wonder, because as you were describing that, I think I realized why I haven't thought about UX, and that is because uh, you mentioned the, the UX designers. So I know what great design looks like. Um, I know what, I mean, the Cheshire Impact logo, the, like, and Brianna on, my, on the Cheshire team, she's amazing. I, mean, I can describe things, and I know when things look bad if I'm working with some other person. I'm like, oh, that's mm-hmm. horrible. Um, but when I see really good design or really even an app or, or just graphics, I'm like, this is beautiful. I, I love it. But I couldn't do that to save my right. life, right? You, you get some stick art from me. Um, right. And uh, so maybe that's why I, I've always mentally thought of like, that's the designer. I'm never, I'm not in Photoshop all day or Illustrator. So sure. that's not really my realm, but it sounds like it's more. So I don't know if that's even a myth now that UX is way more than the design. The design itself, I think or the it is. Or how how do you mm-hmm. resolve that? Yeah, well, we talk a little bit about how there's there's like the there's little d design, there's design in Photoshop, in Illustrator, sure. in, in Sketch, wherever, and then there's like design, which <laughs> means like creation, right? Okay, yeah. So for what you're doing to is design. What you're doing, you are designing an experience. You are designing a, a marketing experience. Sure. You're designing the journey. Yeah. So we don't have a better word for that. We're not, unless we start calling ourselves, you know, we're all UX creators. The UX designers tend to be the ones in Photoshop and Illustrator. Yeah. But 
we're all working within the broader field of user experience, experience. creating those yeah. fantastic experiences. Huh. That's cool. I, I like that. I, I, I hope that continues to grow and becomes like, I'm not that college is a great mainstay. Uh, people are still graduating. No. no idea what marketing automation is. But <laughs> if we can, which is like the backbone, but if we can if build in, you know, user experience class or even to your point, the majors, the front doors just to get people yeah. realizing it's not just for the amazing artists of the world, but also the experienced artists. And obviously not just colleges, but also uh, all the, the, the meetups mm. and the general assembly and these yeah. and the workshops and the conferences. Yeah. There are all of those, those other more direct. Yeah. Uh, more, more direct sort of, yeah, the front, the front doors that we're, we're trying to figure out that what is it you look for now on a resume right. that tells you this is somebody who has experience. So your front door was being a project manager at these UX companies, right? Is that how it started? And then yeah. what happened after that? Uh, I, I, so I went to UIE, whatever it was then, 15 or 16. And um, I think we're up to like 22 now. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it would have been 14 or 15, I think. Dating yourself and, uh, with conferences, right? <laughs> I know, right? Um, so I, I went to UIE one year, and Christina Halverson was talking about uh, Ben and Jerry's. Mm. And Christina Halverson is, is one of the people who popularized the term content strategy. Uh, she was someone who, who just, um, when she started talking about it in the, in the realm of UX, she gave a definition that that kind of took off. Uh, and there had been definitions before, and many people, and Rockley, sure. uh, you know, others others in the field who had had certainly um, built up to a platform to the point where then, when Christina was talking about it, I think people were in a place to start listening. Right. And so she referred to her definition and the, the brain traffic. Her organization's definition of content strategy has been. Um, that is the uh, see if I'm going to get this right at the top of my head. The planning for and planning for the creation of usable, useful content. And okay. uh, when she talked about, yeah, she talked about mostly voice and tone at, at that particular conference, okay. and how with Ben and Jerry's you could see their message and their message architecture come across on all these different pages. And she mm-hmm. showed numerous different pages and how you could see their um, essentially their what I would now refer to as their design principles okay. um, coming through their philosophy, the, the, um, the mainstays that they identified as their goals coming through in the way that they spoke. And mm-hmm. I looked at that and I said, Oh yeah, that's that she had, she had the spreadsheets and the organization to show how she'd gotten that far. Oh, cool. And I was like, check. <laughs> <laughs> and she had the, the wordplay and the choosing the right terminology. And I was like, check and I I left that and I said yeah that's what I want to do and I was at a small enough agency that um, my my uh, the the head of the company said yeah if you want to start just offering content strategy as part of our projects sure and so we did that and I got to start testing it out and seeing what does this look like what are people looking for what are they asking for and uh, after a couple of years, I started kind of branching out on my own. I, uh, I went freelance. I, I worked for everybody from tiny little startups to, you know, Motorola mm-hmm. and uh, an auto trader. And I started to figure out, first of all, that nobody was looking for content strategy. They were looking for something, something to fix this problem. Oh, right. Now, what happened? Yeah. You would say content strategy like, no, 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 we got that yeah. or we don't want yep. that. Yep. The first couple of times I'd, I'd send out either a resume or I'd like connect with someone and start chatting with them at a conference. And I'd say, Oh, I'm a content strategist. And they'd say, Oh, okay. And like, didn't really care. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then I, and then I'd start getting into a conversation, sometimes the same conversation where I'd say, well, what do you do? And they'd start talking to me. Oh, well, uh, that sounds really interesting. You know, that sounds really tricky. What, 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 how's that going for you? And, and then they'd say, you know, it, it's going great. You know, we, we're, we're just kind of having a hard time figuring out how, what to get people. You know, we've got gated, we've got all this gated content and we can't really figure out 
if it's working or not. Right. Oh, oh, what do you, what do you mean? Are you, are you do you have any analytics going? Like, no, we haven't really figured out how to get that up. Oh, <laughs> that is okay. a you familiar know, tune. I actually have a lot of experience with Google Analytics. Yeah, you think it would make sense for us to chat about? Maybe we could work on something together. <laughs> yeah, but even if we had the analytics, like I don't, you know, would that really prove that I was working? Well, not necessarily. I mean, what are your goals? Oh, we haven't, I don't know. We don't you really know, have any. I could yeah. run a workshop. Yeah, I could run a workshop and, and help your team figure out what the goals are and, and how we could make the gated content, what metrics we should be following to make it successful. Oh, yeah, that might make sense. It's like, yeah, <laughs> that's content strategy. Right. You know, so. right. After they've clicked on the DocuSign. By the way, everyone, just so we're clear. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> like, just, just add a PS on any contract. Do you think that's because they'd already experienced it in a negative way or they just had it in their head that that was, didn't really have any, they didn't understand what that really was? I think it's still such a growing okay. field. Yeah. I think, I think it's still new to a lot of people. I think um, if you look at 10 different job descriptions for a content strategist today, you'll see 10 different sets of work. If they Some even have that as a title, right? If they even, oh yeah, yeah. still pretty new. Some other title, yeah. Yep, yep. You'll what about see, with you know. what about with you know all the inbound? I mean, obviously you're in Boston, we're in the area. We've got HubSpot around. They've been talking about content for a long time. Is that oh helped? yeah? Um, in terms of the content strategy, or there's still this layer, it, that yeah, met by what you're talking about. It helps. Uh, in more people recognizing that they need it, right. but, but it's still, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I don't even think it's a problem necessarily that needs to be solved. Okay. I'm not concerned that people aren't saying I need content strategy. As long as people are saying I need to understand how to make inbound marketing work, or I need to understand how to connect to my audience, or right. I need to understand how to better communicate and engage with patients. As long as they're saying things like that, I know that that means I can help them through content strategy. Right. I don't really care if they use the exact words. <laughs> sure. But that's our job, right? It's to figure right. out what terminology is going to work for them. So. Right. Motivation, <laughs> right? What, what's the thing that, that they're thinking about? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, this is cool. This, this, I, I could see how that'd be fun. And then I guess it sounds like, you know, just sort of the catch the story up. You just started doing it and helping people out and then... You're able to start went to a lot of conferences. Yeah. yeah, I went to a lot of workshops. I, I found people at meetups who knew what they were doing and said, "Hey, what can you teach me? What can you show me? What can I practice? What am I doing wrong?" Uh, oh, cool. I um, yeah, and I just I did everything I could to figure out what was this thing. And I also got lucky. You know, I got in kind of on on this sort of ground floor of content strategy really taking off in the right. East Coast. And so I had a lot of opportunities to to try things out and find out what was working and in some cases invent, you know, in some cases sure. I would I would talk to somebody and they'd say, "Yeah, I think we need some kind of, you know, prioritization thing, but but we don't have one." We right. and I'd look around and I'd ask, I'd ask marketers I knew, I'd ask tech people I knew and, and nobody had done anything like this. And I'd say, okay, well, I guess I'm going to create a matrix in Excel to evaluate how you're, how you're doing that, how you're prioritizing. Like, love that. Yeah. And we'll see how it goes, you know? So right. sometimes they just need a little hand holding that leadership. Come on, follow me. Let me walk you mm -hmm. through this. You have the answers in there. Let me just help you get them out of your head. Um, Part of being a junior consultant, I think is, was uh, being willing to do the research that other people didn't have time for. You research know, if, about if, the client or research about the topic or the yes, yeah, both. <laughs> both it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, and and to this day, you know, we're in a fast-moving industry. Sure. If somebody asks me about uh, content strategy for VR, that's not my specialty. That's not something I know a ton about. But I know who to ask, and I know right. where to start looking, and I know how to dig to to pull together what we can know and how we can figure it out together. Right. So I think I think being willing to put in that time is is one of the most valuable things that anybody in pretty much any career today can do. Agreed. Yeah, it's a little extra bit. Um, mm -hmm. 
it's those that actually do it. I mean, there's a famous quote from uh, Eric Thomas. Everyone has a grind, but not, or everyone has a dream, but not everyone has a grind. Not everyone puts in the work. They have this, what they want, but they don't actually go after it. They don't actually put in the time to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. That's cool. So have have you been able, are you still doing some theater here and there? It's hard, right? Because rehearsal, it's really hard. I can't really meet every night, guys. I'm going to be in Chicago in this conference. Yeah, it's been um it's been a while. I think my last show was about 8 years ago now. I uh it was just got too crazy. I still I still see a lot, but I stay on the yes. audience side these days. Yes. Yeah. Would, How about would, you? Do you think you would circle? I'm the same. I'm let even further yeah. back than yours. I I haven't uh you know, I had a blast doing some yeah, you know, direct uh, all the theater growing up and then directing and then um even a little bit of producing, but uh yeah, after college, man, just the working and uh, hard to be able to, uh, you know, put in those multiple days. I think I might circle back around to it at some point, though. I think it's really tied to what makes me happy. Well, at least this does too, right? So this is like a show in, it, in itself. Yeah. Things too, you know. That's been the big shift for me was I when I did theater, I was thrilled and happy when I was in the theater and really not any other time. <laughs> <laughs> And now this is the kind of career where, and and I know we kind of talked about this a little before, you know, you can, you can go to work and and have an amazing, productive, exciting day doing that. And then you can go climbing in the evening. Yes. Yes. Climbing. So rock climbing, are you doing a lot of indoor, outdoor? I'm probably indoor. Mostly indoor. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I'm mostly indoor. I've got my, got my climbing pad. I've got, place that I like outdoors but every year it's like I'm in it more for the sport than the uh than the adventure I think you know like I love challenging myself it's not about conquering the thing it's more about just the experience of it and just being in that well that mode yeah pushing myself to get up to the next v getting up to the next level like how long how far that kind of thing but uh but I I never feel like oh but I have to get you know like like, like there's this little Hammond pond out, out in, uh, in, in South, Bo- uh, just South of Boston. Okay. And, and I'm perfectly happy to do my outdoor bouldering there. I don't, I sure. don't feel any great need. You won't see me up on, uh, up, up on the great, the great tall mountain. Not, not going to be out in like the Mojave desert, just crushing not out so some, much. some tricky no. road upside down, doing some bouldering. I'll watch somebody else do that. <laughs> I'll be super excited for them. Sure. Sure. It's like, uh, I drive people in my house crazy watching Red Bull TV all the time, oh, throwing, yeah. up, throwing on some rock climbing <laughs> or some mountaineering. Mm. That's awesome. Um, have you done any climbing up in New Hampshire or come up north? Yeah, a little bit. We've got some cool yeah. ice climbing too. I don't know if you've ever tried that. I've been dying to, but I have not. Yeah. It's yeah, like way, let me know if there are opportunities. It's way easier. It's like <laughs> really? a different sport. Yeah. It's almost like just because if, if it's a good piece of ice, you're, and you kick your, your feet in, you just stick, you know, and nice. your, your ice axes, they just stick. So it's less of that, you know, find that, that's mystical spot. Find the cramp. And, and, then, yeah. and then how, how crazy are your fingers? It's more of like, I'm holding this thing and, and it's almost, you can just like sort of vertical, just walk up the, you know, up the surface. So it's like different, you know, yeah, um, but still fun. It's kind of it's like, it's like you get even with the rock because during the, the summertime, it maybe it's really hard. And then if it's yeah. covered in ice, it's like, I got this, you know, do a little top yeah. rope and that's like, awesome. Um, yeah. I like totally. the, the balance of, uh, I, I love, I love the climbs. I like chimneys. I like anything where I can kind of throw a heel hook up and then, <laughs> you know, find the right, how do I shift my weight over to this side to get, to get sure. that hand just perfect. Every now and then throw a little cliffhanger, little, uh, little, a little, little, jump, little jump thing. Oh yeah. Grab. Oh yeah. Cheering. <laughs> I'm, I'm about, I'm only, uh, I'm just under five feet tall. So uh, oh, jumping gee. is not my forte, but being able to do a pull up and then just kind of reach is, right. uh, is that's my that's my superpower. But I could imagine <laughs> if someone's like five eight or six something and planning a you know a route in a gym, then you, you might end up doing a lot more jumping than you think you're going to be doing. Yeah, like, that's not even near me, guys. Come on, what is I this? I know. Uh, that's why I do a lot of heel hooks. I do a lot of uh, a lot of things that you might not expect. A lot of uh, um, hand foot matches. Right. Things, things that things that everybody else goes like 
can't you just stand up and reach that? Right, no, but it looks no, really cool. It's like completely. Um, <laughs> I'm going to find top. my own way up. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. That's really yeah. cool, man. And then you just plot that user experience all the way up that surface. <laughs> that's the goal. Got to build it. up a new experience. Totally. Well, this has been awesome. I'm looking at the clock. Time has just like flown by. Oh, no. so, uh, how can people get in touch with you? Twitter, um, obviously yeah. your company's website. You know, what's some good details and stats? We'll put them in the show notes, but just shout them out for people Great. too. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Mars in the stars, um, spelled all spelled correctly. Mars in the stars, obviously. Nice. Spaces. No uh, numbers either. It's original. No numbers. No numbers. <laughs> yep. Just the words. Um, I am available via email, marley at madpow.net. Um, marley is spelled M-A-R-L-I. Uh, if you spell it correctly in my email, but wrong when you say hi to me in the email, auto-delete. Not respond. Oh, bam. Yep. <laughs> That's probably my personal favorite. Uh, is that true? Like if I, if I thank you at, oh, for yeah. the show later on and I just I spell your name wrong, it's just auto-delete. <laughs> <laughs> if I already if I already know you, then I will assume it's autocorrect. But oh sure, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. I do see that though. Hey, you gotta have standards, email standards. Seriously, sure. okay. I so know. we got email. What else? Twitter, email, uh, email website? and Twitter. Those are the best ways to find me. Okay. I am also yeah. My website's marley.us, the MadPow website, madpow.com. Okay, um, great place to find out more about content strategy and behavior change. Um, we've also got on the map house site, there's a, there's a blog there where okay. uh, I've been writing some best practices and sharing some one pagers recently. Excellent. Um, I do also share those out on Twitter. So, but yeah, best way to get a hold of me, Twitter or email. Um, or you can find me in March. I'll be out in Seattle at convey UX. Nice. Uh, in May I'll be, no, in June I'll be at, um, healthcare, Ref healthcare design conference. Okay is the MadPow conference. Uh, it was the first one ever to combine healthcare and UX design. Our theme is on um, change and behavior change, and okay. we do have a kind of strategy track. So that's going to be pretty awesome. That's June 21st and 22nd at um, in Cambridge. So, okay. Yeah, hoping Good to see deal. people there. It's almost like you know show dates. Like, hey, I'll be at this theater. I know. Such and such I know. Date. <laughs> that's awesome well thank you again uh we'll have to circle back around and, and i'm sure there's like a million more ux stories we can talk about so so excited back on here and chat more but thank you so much and and this has been the hardcore marketing show everyone so thanks and we'll see you on the next one thanks for having me 